If you're visiting this morning, I want to extend a welcome to you. My name is Christian. I was not here last week because I was in Guatemala with 14 other folks from our church uh, last week uh, who were then joined by uh, another small group from our church. We were together in a village in the mountains in Guatemala, Santa Rosalia de Marmol. Did you hear me roll my R's? Yes. The trip was remarkable. And it was remarkable because with your help as a church, we built a school building and a computer lab for a group of children who live up in the mountains. We did that. It's amazing. Yeah. That village is not ever going to be the same. It's just true. The people there, their lives were changed. What, what I want to tell you this morning is about how our lives were changed, the people who were there. Now, I haven't asked permission for those of you who are also on the trip with me yet, but can I speak on your behalf? Is that okay? All right. The truth about it is we found ourselves changed by the experience. I would even go so far as to say transformed. I saw it in myself and in the young people and in the older people who were in our group together that we were different people at the end of the week when compared with the beginning of the week. And there's a reason. It's simply because all week long, we were walking on the path which Jesus taught is the most important path to walk on. And because we were doing exactly what Jesus said is the most important thing for you to do, we were changed. No one can follow Jesus for a week without being changed altogether. And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you that path, the very simple way that Jesus says you can find real life. So that from our experience in Guatemala, we can share a little bit that will help you see here in Summit how at every moment and every day, the gracious King of all Jesus invites us to walk in real life. So we find and pursue the one thing that matters more than anything else together. That's what I want. I want you to look at the statement up here on the screen. The chief thing is to love others like yourself. That's the chief thing, and that's everything. Nothing else matters. That's a quote from a short story written by Fyodor Dostoevsky called The Ridiculous Man. And if you want to sound smart, quote Dostoevsky. But make sure you pronounce his name correctly. I practiced. The Ridiculous Man is a short story in which a character at the end of the story expresses this truth. Does some of you recognize it as, as a paraphrase of another teacher's good wisdom? When we meet the character, he is completely hopeless, empty, and he's at the point of deciding to end his own life because he believes that nothing matters. It's November 3rd. It's a rainy evening, and this man is walking home from work through the city where he lives. Months earlier, he had come to the place in life where he decided that everything was meaningless that there was no purpose in life whatsoever, and when he came to believe that, he went to the store and purchased a revolver, which he set beside the armchair in his fifth-floor apartment. And he set it there, knowing that at some point soon he would decide to follow through with the only logical consequence of recognizing the emptiness of the world around us. Now, maybe this sounds more drastic than you've ever felt, but you know there are people around us who feel like that, maybe even here. On this night, he's walking home when there's a break in the cloud cover above him through which he, he spies the light of a single star. 
And somehow that sight inspires him to choose that evening on which to finally go through with his decision. He walks home with new resolve when suddenly he feels something tugging at his sleeve. He looks down and there is an eight-year-old street girl dressed in a ragged, soaking wet dress with tattered shoes. And she's pleading with him for help. At first, he can't understand her because she's so cold and shaken that it's just mumbles, but he knows deep down inside that she's desperate for his assistance and the impulse that arises in him because of his bitterness towards all of the world is to drive her away. Go get a policeman, he says to her. And he turns to walk away from her. She folds her hands and she follows up against him and now begins to cry out over and over again and he comes to see that it's her mother who has died and now she's all alone in the night. He stomps his foot and he yells at her, get away from me. She runs off into the shadows and he proceeds to his apartment. He climbs to the fifth floor. He sits down. He reaches out to grab a hold of his gun. But now... He's not actually able to take it up in his hand because for the first time in many months, he actually feels something. He feels sympathy for the girl in the street. And now, despite wanting to follow through, no matter how hard he tries, empathy for this girl and her need is growing in his heart and making it impossible for him to grab the gun. And in that instance in his chair, he is completely and utterly changed. And what has happened, listen now, is for the first time someone else has occupied the center of his concern rather than himself. Do you know what I mean when I say that? One thing that we saw in Guatemala in our trip is how easy it is when you're in a routine to believe that you're the center of everything. Didn't we see that? Uh, some of you remember the day after Easter that it snowed. Wasn't that nice? or six inches on April 2nd or whatever it was. Wasn't that so pleasant, right? I was sitting on an airplane with 10 others on the tarmac for four hours because of that snow, right? We missed our connecting flight once we got into Houston or wherever we were in Dallas. I was in that airport for 10 hours and 45 minutes. Have you ever been in an airport for that long? It's not fun, is it? Especially not when you're the center of everything. I'm serious. By degrees, as the week unfolded, I saw how easy it is to be self-centered, and I've come back to tell you all how selfish you are. Don't you like me? <laughs> Please understand I include myself here. The default mode for all of us is to think of everything that we experience as if it revolves around us exclusively. Look, say, hear me out. To be at the center of everything, you need to view all of your experiences at school, or at work, at home when you're around the kitchen table, or when you're right there beside someone in the cubicle, when you're driving on the highway, or when you're waiting in line at the supermarket, you need to experience it all as if the main thing is your desires, your needs, your aspirations, and what is convenient and easy for you personally. That's all you need to do to be at the center of everything, and I'm telling you now, that's what you mostly do. Or when you're driving on the highway, and listen, I include myself here, and someone swerves in front of you, what do you think? Hey, they're in my lane. How did you acquire that lane? How did it become your possession, right? Or if you're in the supermarket and you're going to the express line and someone sweeps in front of you, that's my line. And they have more than one item, more, more, one more item than they're supposed to. You ever do this? 
All right, if you're thinking right now, maybe other people do this, but I don't. If you're a regular at Renaissance Church, can I ask you, how did you feel on Easter Sunday when you came in here and there was a stranger sitting in your seat? <laughs> and don't think that you don't have your own seats. I see it every week. I do. I know exactly. What, actually, you're not sitting in your normal seats this morning, are you? Because someone else is sitting there. Are you feeling awkward now? I'm sorry, right? You guys are supposed to be there. Were you angry? I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. The thing about living life where we put ourselves in the center, I want you to hear this, is that it always results in the same end, which is despair. Sometimes we're very good at hiding the despair that we feel. We cover it with all kinds of accomplishments and things. Sometimes we're not good at holding it in. But what happens to each and every person who decides that they're the center of their existence is that one way or another, they will end up believing that all the world is meaningless. And if they're courageous, they'll walk down the street one night and think, there's no point to all of this. And there's a reason why selfishness ends there. And this is critical for you to hear. It's because you were not meant to be at the center of everything. That's not how God made you. The truth that the ridiculous man expressed, which is that the only thing that matters is loving others, is the truth that God himself expressed directly through Jesus. And it's the truth about every one of you here. Whether you know it or not, you personally were made not to be in the center, but to give that place to others. And when you do, you will find the life that you were made for, which you are always going to be chasing until you settle in and let other people have the center. As long as you try to occupy it yourself, you will be driving yourself further and further into despair, the kind of loneliness that will make you believe that there's no meaning at all in the world. The, the ridiculous man the lesson that he gives us was one that Dostoevsky borrowed from Jesus, another teacher who in his own time was regarded as ridiculous in one way or another. What I want to show you this morning is his teaching with as much clarity as I can so you can see his expression of the one and only way to find true life where you're not in the center. This is called the golden rule. Many of you will have heard of it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching those who will listen, and here are the words he says. They'll be up here. This is Matthew 7 verse 12. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Uh, this is Jesus' way of saying, I have told you the one thing that matters most to God. I've set before you an answer to the question which you are always asking, which is what does God want from me? I've given you the one and only path in one sentence that will lead you from the despair of being centered on yourself to the place that you were meant to be, which is walking in true life where you focus on the one thing that God always wants for you, that you should do to others as you would have them do to you. Look at the second half of Jesus' phrase there. This is the law and the prophets. In Jesus' day, this is shorthand for saying, this is the revealed will of God for your life personally. Have you ever thought, I just, you know, I believe in this stuff, but I just wish I knew what God wanted for my life. Have you ever felt that? I know that many people wonder deeply about that. If only, if only God would make it plain what he wanted for me, then I would know. The people to whom Jesus spoke, they believed that God had revealed his word uniquely through the Torah. Have you heard that word? Uh, it's often translated with the single word law, but the word Torah in Hebrew means the way. 
Uh, God's guidance. God's instruction for life. It's the word which God gave to the ancestors that showed them where real life was for one reason, because God loved them and he wanted them to thrive. The books of the Torah included three different components. There was the law, the, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. There was, alongside of them, the prophets. These were the words of the men of God who looked at the world and had the courage to speak on God's behalf of the truth. And then there were the writings and the wisdom. All of these comprised the, the Torah, the law and the prophets. When Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets, he is claiming to have offered a summary in one sentence of everything that God wants. Uh, he wasn't the first to do it. Uh, because there were many in Jesus' day who went looking for a concise description of everything that mattered to God. There are stories actually in the Babylonian Talmud, which you can read, that describe uh, the questions from seekers, people who were Gentiles who wanted to know what God wanted as they questioned the rabbis. Uh, there's one in particular that I think is quite amusing. Shammai was one of the rabbis uh, around the time of Jesus who was quite popular. Uh, a Gentile came to him and said, listen, I will convert to your religion if you can summarize the Torah while standing on one foot. Uh, this is his way of saying, can you do it quickly? I once tried to preach a sermon on one foot. It didn't work. Shammai took the stick he was holding in his hand and tried to smash the guy in the head because he was offended by his question. I promise I'll never do that. <laughs> he went on to another rabbi, Hillel. Some of you all have heard of Hillel. Quite a popular figure. Hillel responded to the man, watch it up here, what is hateful to you, to your fellow, don't do. That's the entirety of the Torah. Again, like Jesus, another rabbi who says, I can give it to you in a single sentence. Hillel said very simply, what you hate, would you think of it for a moment? What do you hate when someone does it to you? Is it that they interrupt you? Is it that they make demands on you that, that you don't feel are your responsibility? Is that you hate when they drive too slow in the fast lane? Does anybody else hate that? Do you or not? You're my friend. It's my least favorite thing in the whole world. Have you ever seen those um, old cartoons, The Far Side? There's one where there's like a picture of this cave with fire in it and these sort of awkward looking people and it's hell for people driving too slow in the fast lane. <laughs> that's the only time I've ever wished for eternal punishment for another person. But that's what I hate, right? Hillel says, do you think I'm too harsh? Did I say, was that too harsh? <laughs> Can I take that back? Okay. Hillel says, if you hate it, don't do it to another person. That's a pretty good ethic, don't you think? I mean, if you think about how the world would change if everything you didn't like, you stopped doing to others. That would be good, wouldn't it? Now, set it beside Jesus' ethic, and you'll see that Jesus even goes in a different direction. Jesus does not say, think about what you don't like and don't do it. Look again at what Jesus says. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. It's similar, but it's the opposite. It is to say, don't think just about what you don't like and don't do it. It is to say, think about the very thing that you wish someone would go and do for you. And let that be your ethic. I want to tell you, ethic, that is the organizing principle which guides your actions and your attitudes, your way of living. Here, Jesus gives us a very concise and very simple ethic. Think about what you want and go find a way to do that for other people. And he makes this tremendous claim that if you'll do this, you will do 
everything that is God's revealed will for you. It is just that simple. Look at yourself, ask, what do I want? And then when you discover it, go and do that for others. I will tell you that if an individual, if a group of people, if a church, if a collection of individuals like this accepts that ethic, it will altogether transform the way they live in the world and it will always and every time change them into different people altogether. Whether it's with your family member, or the coworker who sits in the cubicle next to you at work, uh, or the person who you go to school with every day and they sit there in your homeroom, or one of the students who you teach, or uh, the, the, the team that you manage in your corner office on the 55th floor, or the other people who are at work in the fast food restaurant where you are, uh, whether it's children in a village in Guatemala, or a ragged street girl at night asking for help because her mom's died. If you will put the other first, it will change everything. Do you see that? In Dostoevsky's story, as the ridiculous man sits beside his gun, and as he finds himself drawn deeper and deeper into concern for this girl, for the first time in many months, he falls into a deep and peaceful rest sitting there in a chair. Have you ever had such a difficult time in life that you can't sleep? Isn't that the worst? The thought of this other girl's need puts him into the deepest of all rests. There, when he sleeps, he has a dream, which is so vivid he can't tell the difference between dream and waking reality. Have you ever had that happen? In his dream, he's in an earlier version of our world with one major difference. It's a world in which Adam and Eve decided to do exactly what God wanted instead of turning away from God. And as a consequence, it's a world where men and women never fell away from God. In that world, people cooperate instead of competing with each other. In that world, people are kind instead of cruel. In that world, people are centered on others rather than be, being centered on themselves. In that world, there's no shame. There's no hiding. There's no masks. There's no image management because everybody's okay with who they've been made to be. And there together in that world, there is peace and there is justice, and there is kindness, and there is generosity. It is a paradise. And from that dream, the ridiculous man awakens to decide that the only thing that matters is loving others. The only thing that makes any difference is to giving yourself to finding out what others need and doing it for them. And, and listen now, and in that moment he decides that he will give the rest of his life to going after that girl because he made a decision that that dream will not only remain a dream for him, but as far as it depends on him, it will become a reality that he himself chooses to bring about wherever and whenever he can. Now, I want to tell you, you also have the freedom, whether you see it or not, to decide if that kind of life and that kind of world will be a dream or a reality. And according to Jesus, everything depends on whether you will choose to let other people have the center or go on trying to occupy it your, yourself forever. Uh, this is the truth. Uh, for those of you who have faith already, what you know is that when Jesus died on the cross, we talked about this just a few weeks ago, that he did that to solve the problem that will forever keep you separate from God. He, he did that to die for your sin. 
And when he did that and rose from the grave, he came up to give you brand new life and free you so that every moment you are free to walk in the path of life. And so as I speak this morning about the main thing being loving others, this should be a reminder to you that the path to true life is open to you now and tomorrow and every day. And I want to urge you to walk on it. If you don't believe that, if you don't have faith yet, if you're here because you are seeking, I want you to understand that the Christian faith at the heart of it is utterly simple. It is to put others first and to love others with the same love that God himself has loved you with. You are free to find the real life that you will only find following Jesus when you decide to put others first and love all of the people around you. How will you do this? Let me tell you that the most magnificent part of Guatemala for me and the others there was seeing how consistently we were able on each moment to put others first and love them. Didn't you see that? Uh, When we arrived... Uh, in Zacapa, that's the place where this village uh, or the compound that has begun this ministry uh, started, Hope of Life. We met the man who started that mission. Carlos was his name. Uh, Carlos was a very successful businessman in the States. Uh, he moved from Guatemala to Rhode Island where he developed a, a very successful business. And then when he was at the peak of his success, he became deathly ill. Uh, this was about 30 years ago. And so he came back to Guatemala, the, the, the small village where he grew up to die. And there on his deathbed, an old man from the village came begging, asking him for help. He had heard that he was very successful. And so Carlos made a deal with God. Uh, If you cure me, I'll use the rest of my life to help others in your name. God made him well. He bought 3,000 acres right in Zacapa. And the first thing he built was a, a home for the elderly who were disabled in Guatemala. And the reason he did that is because in Guatemala, if you're elderly and disabled, you are out of luck. There is no government program that's going to help you. And so he built a place where there would be a dignified life together for people who are like that and a place where people like us from the States could come and and make friends. And on the first day, we went right into this section uh, and and we greeted the men uh, and women who were there. It was remarkable. Uh, One man in particular came over to us. His name was Isaiah. He had a little recorder where he played um, a hymn and then everybody clapped. And then he, this is him, then he showed up with, um, I don't know if you can tell from the photo, but that is a very old accordion. And that beside him, that's me. See, I'm not that tall. He began to play for us and sing. People gathered around. He had so much joy. Uh, After he finished, he looked me right in the eye and he started speaking to me emphatically. I only understand how to order tacos in Spanish. So I had no idea what he was saying. I nodded. I got someone to come over and to translate for me. And he said, I've had this accordion for many years and I keep asking for a new one. Can you get me a new one? Now, there, then he went on to say to the girl who was translating something uh, very emphatic. She turned to me and said, he's asking if we can approach Jimmy Morales. He's the president of Guatemala and ask him if he can get him one. <laughs> now, in that moment, I thought of, uh, forgive this comparison, but the president of the music program here at Renaissance Church, Dave Macaron, because I remembered seeing this in the back room. Take a look. That's nice, isn't it? That's a new accordion, which has been in the back room here at this church for, I don't know, maybe a decade. How many times have you seen that out on the stage here? Ever? No, there's a reason for that. I understand that this, this accordion was in the car, the front seat of, a, of, a, of the car of a man who went um, and, and he stopped at the store to pick something up. When he came out, the window was broken in his car and someone had put two more accordions in there. <laughs> you get it, right? 
I made a phone call to Dave. I said, we need an accordion because Isaiah needs an accordion. Will you send it down? Someone from our church came, to, came here the next day, boxed it up, and when she flew down, it was her carry-on. And then it was presented to Isaiah. And this is Daryl giving it to him, and then he played for everybody. And as I understand now, he's a lifelong fan of Jimmy Morales. <laughs> Listen, you have stuff sitting around that means nothing to you that would be a treasure to somebody else. And I don't just mean physical things, but all of us every day have the capacity to put the needs of another person before our own and in that way do the most important thing, to do the will of God himself. That's what Jesus says. It's that simple. All it takes is for you to have your eyes open and to pay attention to what others need and then to choose to prioritize that as much as you can. And all of us can do that in some measure. And when we do that, the experience changes us. I was changed in the week as was everyone else who was on that trip. And the simple reason is each day we were doing good for others because that's the right thing to do. Because if I lived in a country where for a decade I wished that I could have a new accordion, I would want someone to bring me one. And we could do that. And if you can't go to Guatemala, listen now, you can do exactly what Jesus says is the most important thing. And all it takes is for you to look at yourself and ask, what do I want? And then to go and do that for somebody else. And I'm sure you can do it. I, I want to tell you this. If you will do it, it will change you. It will take despair away and give you purpose. And the reason it will do that is because it's what God made you for. Jesus said this is the law and the prophets because he wanted people to understand this is God's will for you. So would you envision for a moment your own life where you pass your time at school, at home, at work, with friends? Let it come into your mind for a moment. And then if you would try this, you will find God's will for your life. Ask, what do I wish others would do for me? What do I want other people to do for me? When you hear the answer come into your mind to that question, I'm going to tell you now, according to Jesus, you are hearing the voice of God himself. That's how God speaks. What do you wish somebody would do for you? That's God telling you what to do for others. It's that simple. Isn't that beautiful? Can you imagine how different the world would be if that's how we lived? I'm gonna, this is confession time. I'm going to tell you about me. And I want you to listen to me and hear if you can hear God's will for me. I want help. What's God telling me? He's saying, Christian, find someone to help. I want positive attention. He's saying, Christian, find someone to give some positive attention to. I want encouragement when I lose sight of what matters most and get myself tangled up in trivialities. God's telling me, Christian, go find someone who's got the wrong idea about what matters and help them see what matters most. That's what, that's what my will is for you. Do it. I want to be included. I want to be invited over. I want to be given the benefit of the doubt. I want others to be patient with me. I want to be the recipient of generosity. I want to be forgiven. I want to be able to drive sometimes too slow in the fast lane without people wanting me to, you know. I want somebody to let me win when I'm playing pool against them. I'm not going to do that for anybody. <laughs> I want someone to believe in me. I want someone to see in me gifts that I can't see myself and for them to tell me. 
I want them to see the best in me rather than the worst in me. I want them to focus on my strengths rather than my weaknesses. I want someone who's wiser than me to come alongside and tell me what I need to learn from them because I can't say it myself. I don't know it. I want someone to make time. I want them to be concerned that I should grow as a disciple. And then I want them to say courageous and difficult things instead of just always flattering me. I want them to pay attention to my needs. Someone who's wiser and and further along and knows better than I do what I require and to push me toward it. I want a friend who's willing to accept me even after seeing the things about me that I would like to hide. I want someone to see the good in me that I don't see. What do you want? And Jesus tells you, pay attention to that and then turn it around because that's what I want for you to give to others. If you do this, you'll find real life. If you do this, you will be walking on the path that God made you to walk on. If you do this, you will be fulfilling the entirety of the will of God. And I want you, I want all of you to have your ears open and your hearts open to what God's call is for you personally. I've told you a little bit about what I want. What do you want? And go do that for others. And then you'll be on the path that changes you. The path that God wants you to walk on. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for the wonderful experience that I and the others from this church had together in Guatemala in these weeks behind us. I thank you for the good and simple work you gave us to do for others. I thank you for the way that it changed me and others to be focused each day on what was good, not for ourselves, but for other people. God, I pray that the change that you brought about in me and others would be lasting and that we would become people who more and more focused on not ourselves, but on the people you've put in our lives for us to love. God, I thank you for the simplicity of Jesus' teaching, that the thing which matters most is for us to do for others what we want them to do for us. I thank you for the brilliant literature of Dostoevsky, that we should see a person transformed by the realization that what matters most is to love others. God, as we continue in worship now, would you help continue to change us, every one of us in our hearts? We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Julie and Dave have a song for us now, which is a prayer. And as they sing, would you open your heart and let this song become your prayer to God, asking him to help you love? Would you do that?